0: Good morning, welcome to Whitewater, as you've heard, it's a place you can belong before you believe, um, and uh, we really want, in, in this season, we know there's, there's probably people who are new or new-ish, and I just want to make sure you know who I am and what our church is about, and so um, first off, um, my name is George, I just turned 37, and I have a family, this is my family, um, it's my son Wesley, my daughter Novella, Wes is uh, two years old, Novella's six, uh, and this is Sarah my wife she doesn't want me to say how old she is and I'm 37 and that's me the bald one um, and, um, and our, our, our church exists um, and centers around the life and way of Jesus and um, we believe our church has been blessed to be a blessing how many of you guys feel like you've been blessed to be a blessing oh good like half of us that's good That's good. Um, We'll work on that. Some of you guys are like, I just want to receive the blessing. No. Uh, But we really look at our church. The big vision of our church is that we feel like God is deepening a reservoir Uh, And he wants to release the reservoir of our church as a river of blessing into the community. So when we gather on Sundays, we're deepening the reservoir through what we're learning and through encouragement, spending time in worship, filling up. and, And that's, you know, with people. And that's also in our hearts. God is deepening the reservoir of our church, not just for ourselves to become like a stagnant pond, but to be a, a, a reservoir that releases a river of blessing Monday through Saturday. So that means Sunday isn't just like the only sacred day or like it's just a little bit more important than the other days. Sunday is important. We come together to be encouraged and filled up, but, but to release people from Monday through Saturday, those are sacred days that God wants us to be applying what we're learning, whether it's on Sunday or applying in our lives, out into our, into our world to be a blessing. And we believe every person uh, has been sent into the world, into different sectors of society, government, business, nonprofit, um, all over the our world, and all over Pierce County and even King County to be a blessing. Nobody sounds very, looks very excited. I get excited about that. Um, but what we dream of is we dream of impacting one percent of Pierce County, and that would amount to seeing ten thousand people uh, experience and be changed by Jesus in 10 years we want to see 10,000 people um, be changed by Jesus in 10 years so um, when we talk about being a blessing I don't know many churches that would disagree with the statement that the church is designed to be a blessing where the disagreement comes is on how we're a blessing would you agree that different churches view different ways of blessing their world and their communities. So, I want to give you uh, basically just a framework for today on, on on three three frameworks for being a blessing. I'm going to tell you what I what I thinks um, what I thinks best, but you you can totally disagree with me. And then I want to talk about a story um, involving Jesus and how He teaches us to be a blessing. Okay, and that's that's simply what I'd like to do. So the first, there's, there's kind of three models. You could break them down probably a little differently, but I'll break them down into three models of church as a blessing in the world. The first model is simply this. It's um, the church um, uh, has the blessing of God and needs to protect the blessing of God because the world is scary and dark. And so it, the church is like a lamp that puts a shade around it because we need to protect the light and we need to protect the gospel and blessing that we have, the world is scary. And so you're allowed to, to, to come to the light and into the light, if you change your behavior and your beliefs, then maybe we will bless you with the blessing we have. Okay, so that's one model, all right? I'm not as strong an advocate for that model. The second model um, that you'll see in churches, um, by and large, is the model that like we have the blessing Of God, but we also need to give it away, and so this church takes off the lampshade and says we need to shine bright, and we uh, we can um, bring blessing to people, but but really we're trying to bring them to the light and to what we have, and it's it's a good model, um, and and you can belong in that in that church, but there's a there's a uh, we we need we have the blessing that will change you, we have it you don't. Um, The third model. It is a model that says this. It says, uh, God is blessing the whole world, not just the church, that God's spirit and Jesus Uh, the spirit of Jesus the Holy Spirit is at work out in the world and our job is to bring the light that we do have so we as a community we take the lampshade off we shine brightly but we don't just shine bright we also look and find flickers and glimmers of God's spirit at work in places we never would imagine three very distinct ways of being a blessing do you see it and in, in the third way it really starts to look at people's lives like they're a light bulb and, and, and there are things in their life that look Jesus-y even if they don't know Jesus that, that God's spirit is at work in the most broken places and organizations and broken people and it's like there's these flickers of light and the, the issue is that, that often the light bulbs out in the world don't know that their source of light comes from the source and our job, a lot of times churches can fill their job is to tell the light bulbs how dark they are and how bright we are, and that we'll bring you some of our light, but, but they won't acknowledge that there's flickers of God's original blessing, and Im, you know, the, the theological term is image of God imprinted on them, and that these flickers are a sign, not that, that you are the source of your own light, but that you are a sign, like those flickers are a sign, that the blessing, the true blessing, comes from outside of yourself, from the ultimate source, which is God. And I would advocate that we be a community that is finding the blessings of God all around us, and we're shining our light while we're finding the light in others and pointing them to Jesus. Amen. Yeah. So here's a question just to get us started. This is a turn and talk for 60 seconds. Here's the question. Where have you seen Jesus in someone who didn't know Jesus? Where are you seeing God's spirit at work, the blessing of God at work, where people don't know Jesus, know the spirit, and know where the blessing comes from? Um, Ready? Go. Turn and talk with somebody. And people who don't yet know Jesus. Jesus, um, one of the things we've learned in our church is that he created environments where people could belong before they believed. And we believe, we, we believe that, not with all our hearts. So our, our community is based on, but Jesus actually also took it one step further and he, he actually taught and um, demonstrated that you can be blessed and bless with Jesus before you even belong and before you believe. So Jesus, he, he knew how to challenge us religious people and he also knew how to challenge us very irreligious, non-religious people um, he, he, knows, he knows how to challenge the human heart. What I want to do is I want to go through a story and I, uh, where Jesus starts demonstrating and, and teaching this kind of church community, this faith community that allows people to bless and be blessed before they belong and believe. Now, um, when we break it down, I want us to be looking for four barriers. I'm going to identify four barriers and four blessings in this story. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your notes, you can pull them out. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow up on the screen behind me. Um, Luke chapter 7, we're going to go through verses 1 through 10. So let's look for some of those barriers. Here we go. When he, that's Jesus, had concluded saying all this to the people who are listening, he entered Capernaum. He's been teaching and preaching and doing the, the healing ministry he's been doing throughout Israel. Verse 2, it says, a centurion's uh, servant, who was highly valued by him, was sick and about to die. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him. I just want to stop for a moment. Uh, It's important to know what a centurion is. A centurion is a Gentile, meaning a non-Jewish person, isn't ethnically Jewish, isn't religiously Jewish. And so we see the first barrier is an ethnic barrier right at the front. And this uh, centurion, who's Gentile, he also works for the Roman government, which is the government that took over the Jewish government. So this is a natural enemy of the Jews. And not only does he work for the government, but specifically he's a military leader in the government that oppresses the Jewish people. This is a natural enemy. You guys starting to see the picture? So the centurion has a servant And the servant gets sick and this uh, centurion hears about Jesus. And it it says that he highly valued this this servant. And so he hears Jesus might be able to help. And he's a socially aware uh, leader. Um, Jesus worked with all kinds of people with probably varying degrees of social awareness. How many of you guys have friends that are uh, great at a lot of things, but social awareness is not one of them? If you guys have friends like that, if you're not raising your hand, you might be that friend. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. Um, but varying degrees of social awareness, and, and, and there's this centurion who shows a high degree of social awareness, he understands that Jesus is a Jewish holy man, a rabbi, and, and, um, and eth- ethnically, um, he, he doesn't belong or he's, he's an outsider, and so he sends some Jewish leaders that he's become friends with to represent him. Um, in verse four it says when these leaders these Jewish leaders reached Jesus they pleaded earnestly with Jesus saying this he's worthy for you to grant this request he's worthy for you to try and heal his servant because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue so they highlight that this man is a good man they don't see they They had their synagogue built by him. If if all this guy had done is throw throw money at the synagogue and the Jewish community, they could have just said, look, he threw some money toward us and um, maybe you could help him out. But these guys are earnestly um, advocating on behalf of their natural enemy because they believe he's a good man and he loves people. But there's this ethnic barrier between them. Um, I think the ethnic barriers um, separate so many people and tribes in our world and in our country and it's one of the it's one of the most devastating things is when it, when racism bigotry separates people um some of you may have been impacted by this my um my wife i'm sad to say and i'm kind of embarrassed to say but my wife struggled with bigotry and racism um when she was younger when she was two or three she moved to the united states from new guinea and she was terrified of white people she was terrified of white people. George, <laughs> Papa New Guinea—that's Big Papa uh, correcting me. Um, it's my father-in-law. So she was terrified of white people. But if you've ever seen my wife, you don't get whiter than that. She, for the first few years, thought she was black. Um, she was raised in an all-black community in Papua New Guinea. And um, this is what she, the world she grew up in. So when she came to America, she'd, she'd get into an elevator and a bunch of white people would walk in and she was terrified and just be shivering and kind of crumple in the corner. Um, she was terrified. I mean, what does it say about a culture that a child wouldn't even realize how white her skin is? And and, until she experiences the boundaries and the fault lines and the the bigotry in our own country. I have a friend who's African American. I was telling him this about my wife. And he goes, oh, I can understand how she feels. (laughs) We live in a world that's divided often, and it's amazing to see the persistence of the centurion and the persistence of Jesus to cross these boundaries. So we see, uh, here's one blessing in in the face of this boundary, is that there's a value for life in this Gentile Roman centurion. There's a value for life. Christians, we would call this, and Jesus demonstrated this in his ministry and taught it, when Christians, we call this the image of God in people, that people have intrinsic value, that they are conceived and then born and live with just a value given to them. It's not value they have to earn. It's not value that's given to them depending on the class that they're born into or the, the way that they prove themselves through life, that you can, you can be born with all kinds of issues and, and capacity issues, and you can have um, disabilities in your life, or even perceived disabilities, and your value is intrinsically there. You're a child of God. God's original blessing is imprinted on your life, amen? And we see a Gentile centurion who doesn't maybe fully understand this, but his value of life and his expression of that is right in his life. We see him acting like Jesus before he even knows Jesus. All right, let's keep moving. Verse 6, it says, Jesus went with them. He decided to go ahead and he's like, I'm going to respond to this centurion, to a to Roman military leader. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent uh, friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. Don't trouble yourself by coming into my home since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. What's that about? Well, in this day and age, we've, we often see a clear religious barrier, a religious barrier. And for Jewish uh, rabbis and just Jewish people in gen- general, there was a rule that you're not supposed to share a meal or sit under a roof or be in a home and, and break bread with a Gentile. That's against the rules. You'd become ceremonially, religiously unclean. That's a barrier. And again, the centurion is aware of this, and he's respectful of it, and he sends out another delegation of friends. It doesn't say they're Jewish, so these are most likely other Gentiles. He already sent the Jewish men to advocate on his behalf, and then he sends out some Gentile friends as a delegate to say, Jesus, I do not wanna be a bother, I don't wanna put you out, I I, I understand the barrier. You don't need to come into my home. This is really interesting. I don't think Jesus has ever seen this before and we'll we'll find out kind of why, um, but here's the religious barrier and check this out in um, verse seven he says that is why i didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you and and we, we see another barrier here: personal honor. He lowers himself and says, "I considers himself unworthy. This is a roman um a Roman military leader who has won the battle—he's defeated the Jews. He could see himself as superior; his race is superior. In fact, many of the Romans did, and and they had their own rules for themselves, and they and that Jews didn't fall under. And this man puts himself under in humility, under Jesus, as a sign of honor and and respect and so we see him respect and honor another religion another faith another perspective this is like how likely would this be in in jesus day and age and yet this man does it he doesn't want to put a jewish holy man in a bad position so he sends delegates and then when then in verse seven when he says i i didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you there's this personal honor barrier but he goes on to say, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. So there's a personal honor barrier, and he, and he says this, but just say the word. You don't have to come into my house to heal my friend, because his servant is his friend. He loves this guy. You just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And why does he say that? Why does he believe that? We haven't seen any example of any Jewish person coming to Jesus saying, just with a word, you can heal. Where does he have that knowledge? Where does he have that kind of faith? Because he doesn't even know Jesus fully yet. He's not fully in the Jesus community. He's a Gentile, not be considered a non-believer, but he's moving toward God. How does he have this concept of who Jesus is? In verse eight, he says this, for I too am a man placed, Under authority. Having soldiers under my command. So he says, I am a man under authority. Given authority by the emperor. I'm under Caesar. And I've been empowered and and given authority by Caesar. And I have soldiers under my command. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, I say, do this. And he does it. And what he understands is in his reality there is a spiritual reality he understands that if jesus is who he says he is that jesus is a man of authority spiritual authority and that he can just speak a command and it would happen and this military roman leader who is over the jews submits himself unto the authority of jesus because he understands authority He says, I am under your spiritual authority and anything in this realm, if it's true that you are who you say you are, is under your authority. Now watch Jesus' response to this and we see the barrier of personal honor being overcome by his understanding of the authority of Jesus. He humbles himself under Jesus' authority. Now watch verse nine, Jesus' response. And this is largely for me, if you're gonna take anything from this sermon, I, I wanna make a few points Off of Jesus' response. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. You know how often Jesus was amazed at somebody and their love and their faith? This is very rare. It says he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him who were Jewish. And he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. He says, look at this outsider. I see a type of love and hope and faith that I have not found within my own people. Verse 10, it goes on to say, when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Jesus responds in two major ways. He heals and he highlights. If you have your notes, this is the first thing I want you to write down. I want you to remember this. Jesus heals, right? So Jesus blesses beyond the barriers Jesus blesses beyond the barriers Uh, Jesus taught this in in chapter 6 the chapter before the chapter we're in right now in this story Jesus teaches something very significant to this passage Um, Jesus taught but I say to you who listen love your enemies do what is good to those who hate you bless those who curse you Pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemy. Be a blessing. Bless beyond the boundaries. Bless beyond the boundaries. The the fourth and final barrier is the enemy barrier. And Jesus teaches us to love the enemy. How do we overcome the enemy barrier? Not by fighting, not by convincing, not by... It's loving the enemy. Jesus teaches this. And I, I think this is one of the most hopeful Aspects of the person of Jesus. This is one of the most unique aspects to who Jesus is and what he taught and what he practiced. And here is the most important thing about Jesus: He taught us to love our enemy. He taught that, and then he demonstrated that. His whole ministry was loving his enemies, and as he was loving his enemies, being persecuted by them, ultimately put on a cross and and um, executed. Being crucified. And as he was dying for his enemies, arms outstretched by his enemies, he said, For his enemies, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He taught love of enemy, and he demonstrated love of enemy. And I think this is one of the most unique, distinct, and most convincing aspects of the Christian faith. Jesus practiced what he taught. He taught us it's, it's okay to die for Christ's sake, but it's never okay to kill for Christ's sake. I'm not swearing, I'm just saying. The, the Christian faith is self-correcting because of the teachings of Jesus. A church can get way off. We've seen where the church is killed in the name of Christ, in the Crusades, in the in the Spanish Inquisition, and, and just on terrible things in, in the name of some kind of faith. But it wasn't in any way, shape, or form after the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus' teachings will reform and reform over and over the church because it's we have a self-correcting Savior. He's taught us that, that we are a church that, that, that we have to forgive and we have to love our enemies. Anim- and we're not we're not allowed to just hate people and we if someone we dislike someone we disagree with someone um or or we just are strongly disgusted by somebody our response is love and for me that's why the future of the church is beautiful because we're a community of forgiven people learning how to forgive We're people who used to be enemies of God, doing our own thing, uh, wandering from him, hating God, and even destroying the things of God, even if we thought we were doing good things. We were enemies of God, and Jesus died for us and forgave us, and he teaches us how to love our enemies. Amen? The future of the church is beautiful because the life of Jesus was beautiful, and the mark of the Christian life isn't how strongly we disagree with our enemies and the enemies of the cross and the enemies of God. The mark of the Christian is how well we love our enemies. Amen. Amen. And that's a challenge. The challenge is me. Um, second thing, Jesus does, and this is really important. We miss this so much. I, like I've missed this when I read this passage and I've read other passages. But it just jumps out of the text. Jesus sees and highlights blessing beyond the barriers. He sees and highlights blessing beyond the barriers. What does that mean? He sees God at work where no one expects to see him. So get this, a centurion who is the natural enemy of Jesus and the Jewish people. He's a Jewish uh, Roman war leader, a military leader who's probably killed and been part of the murder of of people in the Jewish community. Um, He was part of the taking over during the Jewish Roman war, which the Romans won. He is seen as the ultimate enemy. Jesus sees in him a flickering light. He sees in an enemy, an enemy who's loving his enemies. This is a man who, his enemies, the Jewish leaders in his town, come to Jesus. And what do they say to them? They they, they say to Jesus, here is a man who's worthy of you to, to, to do what he asks because he loves our nation. He has served and loved us. He has served the synagogue. He has served his servant This is a man who loves us, and by their own words, Jesus sees the flickering light. Even if this man doesn't know where the flickers, where the glimmers of God's light are coming from, he might think that they're from himself, that he was born with it, but but God has given him the ability to love his enemy, to love beyond the boundaries. He is blessing beyond the boundaries the way Jesus wants his people to bless beyond the boundaries. So instead of putting it down and saying, well, you don't really have the right orthodoxy, Jesus lifts up what is good and says, Look, and he points it out and he treats this man who's an enemy as a model of discipleship for his disciples. How crazy is that? And, 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 in the day and age of Jesus, it was like, we need, to, we need to be a light that's protecting, you know, the light from the evil, and so we need to put a shade on our light. Or like some people that were with Jesus, they were like, okay, we can take the, the lampshade off, we can shine it out, but man, some of our enemies, they got to they gotta fully change and there's nothing good in them, they're totally wicked and they're just totally evil. If you want, if you look at the teachings and the practice of Jesus, he lifted up good even in his enemies that means you and I can learn from our enemies amen we can we can highlight and have models of discipleship we can see Jesus stronger in people who don't know Jesus at times than we do even in the Jesus community and, and church Christians that's a blessing it helps point out our blind spots it helps us see when we're wrong. Jesus is pointing out the blind spot for his own people. You wouldn't, you wouldn't spend any time with this guy yet. He is sacrificing. He's sacrificing social chips, cultural chips, and he's breaking through all these barriers. His friends and other Romans are probably making fun of him. He's come, but he doesn't care. He loves his enemy. And we just need to show him where he gets that. That's from God. Amen? Here's the last thing. Jesus creates an environment where people can bless with Jesus before they belong and before they believe. He creates an environment where this can happen. Um, The centurion not only receives blessing and blessing through him, but Jesus partners with his desire and in front of everyone with a word Heals his servant and they bless together. There are people who will not believe or trust or agree in the way of Jesus until they practice the way of Jesus with Jesus. There's something fundamental that changes in us when we begin to bless and have compassion and love and and we do the things that Jesus has to do. We see Jesus where we never thought he was. And if you're more like the centurion and you're like, "I'm exploring faith. I don't know about faith. I'm, I'm, I'm checking it out." I would encourage you practicing the way of Jesus, the way of blessing, before you belong, before you believe, or as you belong and as you believe. And it'll it'll fundamentally change how you see things. Even if you never believe what I believe, there will be a dif- deeper appreciation between us. Will there not? So a few questions I have for you. Church, followers of Christ, can you learn from people you dislike and disagree with? Can we, um, can we connect with people whom we dislike and, and sometimes disgust us? Can we bless with them and bless them? Yeah. One of the biggest signs of of belonging and blessing is I'm able to accept somebody that I don't agree with. Now, here's the the last thing. I want you to watch a video. Uh, And in this video, this is an example of what happens when we bless and bless with people who don't yet believe and don't yet belong. Watch this.
1: I'm Kate Konzelman, and I um, have worked within the foster care system for the last six to seven years. Foster parents will always be heroes in my mind because they they recognize that they're stepping into suffering. And when you walk with someone in suffering, you will suffer yourself. And they're volunteering to do that. I think I see Jesus more in foster care than I've seen him anywhere else which is just exclusive to my experience. He is everywhere else, but you get to see a lot of them there. The misconceptions I come across with foster care typically are that the family is evil. They are in really tough circumstances, and you you put five kids on that and a single parent home, neglect happens. And so I think it's really easy to demonize what has brought a child into care when the reality is brokenness is the same in their family as it is in our lives. It manifests differently sometimes, but we're all we're all in need and of grace and we're all in need of help and we're all in need of support. Sometimes that gets misconstrued. We hear about the abuse and we hear about the neglect and we we miss the context of sometimes why that happens. Statistically, our teens have the least chance at at making it, basically. They 50% usually end up homeless once they age out. Age out means at age 18, they can no longer be in the foster care system. And not very many graduate from high school and very few go on to college. So they have a lot stacked against them. But I also think they're some of the most special people I've ever met. One of my teens. Um, I have had the privilege of walking with her for a couple years now, and she honestly has one of the most complicated trauma stories I've ever seen, um, and involving extreme trauma from her birth family and then extreme trauma from an adoptive family, and so she's back in the system from her adoptive family. And she found out that she's pregnant and she's 16. I got to go to her ultrasound. Um, about two weeks ago and we were waiting for the ultrasound tech to come in and this wave of emotion came over her and she asked me to pray um, because I'm tight with Jesus in her words (laughs) and so the four of us circled up in a circle and were praying for her and the baby and the ultrasound tech came in and kind of was like caught off guard and was asked her like, oh, who who are all these people with you? And she looked around the room and she said, this is my family. And I just thought, wow, what a picture of of what God's doing and also what He does with us. Like, I think if someone walked into Whitewater and was like, what are all these people doing here? I'd say, this is my family. Well, how are all these random people your family, right? Like, But that's what God does. As a foster parent you feel totally invisible in what you're doing by having a church say you're not invisible we see you and we're going to celebrate you and we're going to celebrate with you and for you and for them um is it's incredible we have a clinical supervisor who's who's not a believer um, over our agency. We're a Christian agency at Olive Crest, but she comes in because of her expertise and helps us with some of our tough cases. And we invited her to the Christmas party. She's strongly an atheist, and she was standing in the back of the room crying, which we've never seen. And uh, my supervisor asked her like, you know, what's why are you crying? And she just said, I think I've seen God for the first time. It all matters. Um, The people that are setting up the Christmas party, you're hugely involved in making a difference. And for me, the most powerful Sunday is, I love the, the Christmas party, but when I get to stand in church and watch families bring gifts forward, I picture... I picture those kids that I know and and I rarely get to see people excited about them which is so is hard and to see people like have their name and pick their favorite toy and say you're special and you matter is like it's it matters more than I can say
0: my heart and our church's heart, we want to be a church that's like Jesus, centered on him, that we can bless beyond the boundaries, that we can highlight and see the blessing of God in other people's lives beyond the boundaries, beyond the barriers. When Jesus was put on the cross, the world thought they were turning out the light of God, just turning it off. And the light of God was just turning up. It was just shining for all to see, if we had eyes to see it. Um, And so, Christians, let me just speak to you for a minute. And then any centurions in the room that are finding their way toward Christ and exploring Christ or coming back to Christ, let me speak to you for a minute. Christians, will will we learn to live a life blessing beyond whatever boundaries and barriers there are? people we dislike, disagree with, and even want to, we want to disparage? Will we be able to have um, disagreements without despising each other? Will we be able to have conversations without contempt? Will we be able to uh, see the light flickering in other lives around us and be able to say and recognize it and say the source of that light, of that glimmer, of that flicker, is the Creator? Will we be able to work side by side and bless the world together as they learn to know more about Jesus? And for the centurions out there, Jesus and the centurion knew the truth that no one else did. They were not enemies. They, this was a lost son who was coming back to Jesus. This was not his enemy. And anybody who's exploring faith in Christ, maybe church has felt like an enemy to you. You're not my enemy. You're not our church's enemy. We love you. We're so glad you're here, and and you bless us with your presence, and we thank you. You bless us in in, in incredible ways. You bless our church with your questions and your challenges for us to be more like Jesus and understand Jesus better. You bless us when you model to us how to be more like Jesus. You bless us when you can align on blessing the world with us. So thank you, and keep on your journey, keep seeking, keep blessing, keep growing, keep learning the way of Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I pray that we would be a church that can see the flickering lights out in the world, that we can be a light, and that we can help someone else shine all the more, and God, I pray. I pray that the reason that people would, um, would bless would become clearer and clear that the reason is because you have created them to be a blessing. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.